Well, last Sunday, we concluded our series titled The Christmas Playlist. We were looking at the songs that you find in the Gospel of Luke to celebrate the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we looked at the song of Mary, the song of Zechariah, the song of the angels. And then, of course, last Sunday, the song of Simeon. Today is a freebie for me. Of course, next Sunday I'll be preaching the sermon for the installation of Greg Davidson, and then Greg Davidson is going to begin a sermon series for our morning services, and so I was free to preach on whatever I wanted to. But when I preached last week on Simeon, I kept thinking about Anna, and I thought how often Anna is neglected because we attend to Simeon, and the reason Simeon gets attention is because he says something and we don't know what Anna says. And so I thought I would uh, give some attention this past week to the story of Anna. And the title for my message this morning is The Prophet Anna's Riveting Sermon. Now, like Simeon, she was uh, meditating on the great promises that God had made through Isaiah in chapter 40 about God coming to redeem Israel and Jerusalem. And so before we listen to the words of our text in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, I'm going to invite Sarah forward and she will read the opening five verses of Isaiah 40. If you have uh, Bibles with you, I'll be reading from Isaiah 40, verses 1 to 5. If not, the words will be projected above me. Comfort for God's people. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim her that her service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling. In the wilderness... Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all of the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. We're now going to turn to the words of our text, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you have Bibles with you, please turn with me to the Gospel of Luke or else read the text as it is projected above me. Luke 2. <coughs> so this account occurs right after Simeon's encounter with Jesus in the temple. And we'll read verses 36 through 38. Luke 2, beginning at verse 36, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, 
she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. When Jesus went to the temple for the very first time, he was a baby only about 10 days older than Addison is this morning. And when he was in the temple, he was greeted by an elderly man by the name of Simeon, much older than I am today. And he was greeted by an elderly woman by the name of Anna. The Bible teaches us that the truth shall be established by two witnesses. Simeon testifies, but it is not good for the man to be alone. And so Anna also testifies. You have a male witness and you have a female witness representing all of humanity. Now Simeon's encounter with Jesus is described over the course of 11 verses. Anna's encounter with Jesus is described over three verses. We know exactly what it is that Simeon said. We have no idea what Anna said. And some Bible scholars are quick to conclude this is sexism in the Bible. The man gets all of the attention, perhaps. Or perhaps not. I want to submit to you this morning that this may be an instance where Luke is using a particular narrative device called ellipsis. And ellipsis is when a writer omits parts of the story to get the reader to fill in the gaps on his or her own, to use one's Imagination. Scholars speculate that Luke, in fact, often uses ellipsis, and that may be the case here. It's actually a way of drawing attention to the story. And having readers pause and reflect and meditate on the story, because it's clear that Anna for Luke is a very significant figure. She is described as a prophetess. There are only two prophetesses that are named in the New Testament. Do you know the other prophetess? The other prophetess is Jezebel, the wicked prophetess, identified in Revelation 2. Anna, it turns out, is the only virtuous, the only faithful prophetess in the whole New Testament. And in our text, she preaches a riveting sermon. Well, you say, how could she preach a riveting sermon. She was an 84-year-old woman whose voice probably crackled. Well, what makes a riveting sermon is, of course, not the, the, the uh, delivery, as I fumble over my delivery saying those words. What makes a sermon riveting is, of course, the content. And what is the content of Prophet Anna's sermon? The content is Jesus and Jesus, you see, is the bridegroom that Anna has been waiting for. And as we reflect on this story, we're going to see three things. First of all, Anna's poverty. Secondly, Anna's patience. 
And thirdly, Anna's preaching. She preaches Jesus as the bridegroom she has been waiting for. We'll see her poverty, her patience, and her preaching. Who is Anna? Evidently a very remarkable figure. She is described as someone from the tribe of Asher. Asher is one of the ten northern tribes that was taken captive by the Assyrians. And for whatever reason, her genealogical ancestry has been preserved. It wasn't the case with many people from the northern tribes, but it is known that she is from the tribe of Asher. And women from the tribe of Asher were renowned by the Jews for their beauty. And they were often regarded as especially fit to be the wives of kings and priests. But Anna is hardly a beauty. And there is no one in the world looking to marry her at this stage. She is 84 years old. Her face is covered with wrinkles. She is probably bent over. She has difficulty walking, difficulty speaking. She is frail. She is weak. She is needy. Her life was defined by one event in particular. She was married for seven years, and then the unbelievable happened. Her husband died. As a young girl, she had dreamed of getting married. It was the dream of every Jewish girl because it was, it was the pathway to stability and security. She probably imagined herself being surrounded for most of her life with children and grandchildren. But her dreams were dashed. Her husband died. He wasn't supposed to die. And she was left all alone. There was no one to see her tears. There was no one to hear her cries. There was no one to love her. Her marriage represented a very small segment of her life. We're told that she lived, uh, that she was in her 84th year, married for seven. 84 is 12 times seven. So if we imagine her whole life as a year, she was married for only one month. And it was the end of this month that defined her. Her husband died. And if you were to ask people, tell me about Anna, they would say, Anna is a widow. But what was life like for widows in those days? It was very bad. Widows were easily and often neglected. They were often poor and destitute, often beggars. There wasn't, you understand, social security, especially if a widow had no children. And yet the Bible tells us again and again that God cares for widows. In fact, kindness to widows is a mark, James says, of true religion. And the first good work of the church in the book of Acts is care for widows. And Anna was a widow who was really in need. Paul would write to Timothy about a woman, a widow really in need, and here is what he would say. The widow who is really in need, this is 1 Timothy 5.5, 5, the widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray 
and ask for God for help. Anna is a widow really in need. She puts her hope in God, and she continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. Well, that's Anna's poverty. What about Anna's patience? Well, what does Anna do after her husband dies? It seems to me she has a couple of choices. She can pursue a second husband. If she was 15 when she married, the age when Jewish girls were often married, and she was married for seven years, it means that when her husband died, she was 22. Still a young woman, and it was still reasonable for her to find a second husband. She could have hedged her bets and looked for a second husband. If she were to do so, she would have been honoring the counsel that the Apostle Paul would later give in 1 Timothy 5, where he said, I desire that younger widows marry and have children. That was option one, pursue a second husband. Option number two was to throw in the towel and give up and despair. Anna could have said, God provides for all, but he hasn't provided for me. God doesn't forget the sparrows, but he has forgotten me. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from the will of God, but I've fallen to the ground, and so I'm done with God, and I'm going to run from him. But Anna does the exact opposite. She runs to God. She puts herself in the presence of God. She goes to the temple and stays there. Some scholars speculate that she slept on the floor in the temple courtyard. Others say maybe she was given a place in one of the buildings on the temple hill. This much is sure. She was there at the temple every morning and every evening. She never missed a service. Do you miss a service? She never missed a service. When her husband died and her dreams were shattered and her life was over, she went to the temple and she worshipped God and she worshipped God day and night for decades. If she was 22 when her husband died and she was now 84, it meant that she spent 62 years in the temple every day worshipping God, praying and fasting. Perhaps some of you here this morning are saying, what a waste of a life. Just to give up your life for 62 years waiting. To waste so many words in prayer. To waste your energy fasting, which just deprives you of strength. Anna, you might say, lived a pathetic life. And I want us this morning to see the life of Anna from a different vantage point. Not a pathetic life, but a fruitful life. When her husband died, she did not look for a second husband. When her husband died, she did not despair because she loved someone more than her husband and she was waiting for him 
to come. Anna, you see, had perfected patience. She was patient for the right thing. Not for a second husband, not for a sizable income, not for a healthy and robust body. No, she waited for the coming of Christ. For Anna, there was no one more beautiful than Jesus. No one more worthy than Jesus. No one more satisfying than Jesus. Jesus is the one who doesn't disappoint. Jesus is the one who doesn't leave us. Jesus is the one who doesn't forget us. And so for 62 years, she worshiped, she fasted, and she prayed, anticipating the arrival of Jesus. I want to ask you this morning, what are you waiting for? What do you want out of life? We're all living for something. We're all journeying somewhere. It's part of the structure of humanity. We must love something. We must desire something. We must crave something. What are you craving? What are you desiring? What are you wanting as you go to sleep at night or as you wake up in the morning? Do you experience a gap between what you know and what you do? Isn't that the most frustrating thing? A gap between what we know and what we do. We know better than what we do. But how do we bridge that gap between what we know and what we do? It's not by thinking. Thinking is a very easy thing to do, but you can't think your way into holiness. We are desiring beings, and we are formed by what we desire. We are defined by what we love. And the more precious the thing is that we desire, the more precious our life is. The more precious the object of our desire, the more precious our life. So what do you want? Did you know this is the very first question that Jesus asks in the Gospel of John? Not what do you believe, not what do you think, but what do you want? What do you crave? Because it's at the very core of our identity. Our desires are the fountain from which our actions flow. The more precious your desires, the more precious your life. Anna was 84 years old. She was bent over, but she was not broken. She was an 84-year-old widow, and yet, in some other sense, she was a young fiancé engaged to be married. Her old heart fluttered for Jesus. Her old eyes were full of love. Anna was patient for the right thing, and she was patient in the right way. How was her heart formed? Well, it was formed by the community in which she placed herself. She put herself in the presence of God, in the sanctuary of God, with the people of God. Her heart was formed by spiritual disciplines, praying and fasting. Her hunger for Jesus was satisfied by fasting. Think about that. Her hunger for Jesus was satisfied 
by fasting and by prayer. And she often must have recited to herself, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the patience of Anna. She desired the right thing, waited for the right thing, and in the right way. Well, then finally, Anna's preaching. The final verse is so touching, isn't it? Verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, almost by surprise, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of, the, of Jerusalem. She came and she stood beside Joseph and Mary, saw the baby Jesus and gave thanks. Of course she gave thanks. This is the one she's been waiting for. This is the bridegroom who finally arrived. She gives thanks, but the text says she also speaks. And in the Greek language that underlies our English translation, it's clear that this wasn't just one utterance. She spoke, and she spoke again, and she spoke again, and she kept speaking. And it was a riveting sermon because it was about Jesus. Jesus, she realized, wasn't just for her. Jesus was for everyone. She wasn't possessive of her bridegroom. She wasn't possessive of her lover. She was generous, and she told others about him. And it's clear from this text that she wasn't the only one waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. There was Simeon and a group of people, maybe all seniors, who had given their lives to waiting and waiting and waiting. They were all looking, the text says, for the redemption of Jerusalem. It's, it's language I indicated a moment ago that reminds us of Isaiah 40. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her time of hard service has been completed, that her sins have been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. These people were all waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word that Luke uses here is often translated ransom. Ransom is the price you pay to free a slave. And it's a reminder to us that by nature we are captive to sin and evil. Our hearts are captivated. And when Jesus died on the cross, he freed us from the bonds of sin. So we're no longer captive to sin and evil. Anna preaches, but are you listening? Anna is asking us this morning, what do you hope for in life? What do you crave? What do you want? What is it that will make you happy? Is it marriage? Anna asks, you will be disappointed because your spouse will never be good enough your spouse can never make you happy. Is it friends? Friends will disappoint you. There will be times where they let you down. Is it wealth? Money can't buy you happiness, Anna says. Money can't solve the greatest problems in life. Is it a healthy body? Health will disappoint you. At some point you'll get sick. At some point you'll become frail and you'll be bent over, and your skin will wrinkle, and you'll have a difficult time talking. There's only one 
Anna says, who doesn't disappoint. There's only one who doesn't forget. There's only one who doesn't leave. There's only one who always comes, and it's Jesus. He's always there. Anna stops us, and she asks, do you want your life to be precious? Then desire something precious. Then desire the most precious thing there is in the world. Desire patiently. Well, how can you do that? Through the disciplines of patience, through prayer, and through fasting. Go to church. Be with the people of God. Put yourself under the word of God. Have fellowship with your Christian friends. Pray daily, fast often. Join me and my friends midweek mornings over Zoom. Spend every morning in prayer, every morning listening, reading scripture. It seems so mundane, so banal, just fasting, praying, seemingly so insignificant, and yet the most precious life to be lived. Well, Anna concludes her sermon, and she says to us, do you know my father's name? It's Penuel. Actually, it's Phanuel. And she says, I grew up referring to my father as Phanuel. And Phanuel means face of God. But I never saw the face of God in my father. No one has ever seen God. Moses didn't dare to look at the face of God. But she says, when I held or saw at least baby Jesus, I saw for the first time the face of God because Jesus is Phanuel in the flesh. The face of God in the flesh. John says for this first chapter, no one has ever seen God. But the one and only Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. This is the story of Anna. From one vantage point, an elderly woman who lived a pathetic life of 62 years waiting in the temple, fasting and praying. And yet from another vantage point, the young fiancé of her bridegroom. He took a long time to come. She didn't give up. She didn't fall asleep. She didn't get drowsy. She kept oil in her lamp. And on this day, she saw him. And she thanked God. And she preached a riveting sermon. Are you listening? Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for Anna's sermon. And we pray that when we encounter her story, we pray that we would stop and think and imagine 
And we pray that we might yearn for that which is most precious in life. That we might live a most precious life. Help us this morning and always to yearn for Jesus. He who is most worthy, most beautiful, who never leaves, never forsakes, never forgets, never disappoints. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's the faithfulness of God, isn't it, that Anna could see Jesus